Thank you for choosing Miniaturist of Baptist Church podcast. We hope you benefit from this message. If you'd like to learn more about Miniaturist of Baptist Church, please visit our website at miniaturistachurch.org. I want you all to know that you are loved. You are loved by a Heavenly Father that loves you so much. And let this day be a piece of peace and restoration. Perhaps you lost your mother when you were very young. Your father loves you. You are loved. And I am proud of you for the godly woman you have become. Perhaps you lost your mom more recently. Your father loves you. You are loved. And I am very proud of the godly woman you continue to become. Maybe you had a wonderful mother or not such a wonderful mother. Perhaps you didn't really know your mother or mom very well. Some of you were blessed to have another woman, a godly woman, in your spiritual life as a spiritual mother. But if I were your mom, I would hug you, I would take your face in my hands, and I would want you to know that you are loved. I would ask, I would tell you that I am sorry for not being the best mom that I could be, that I did the best that I could do at the time with what I knew. And so with that, I ask your forgiveness. Please forgive me, your mom. You also need to keep this in your hearts. God does not make mistakes. Ever. You are not a mistake. You never were a mistake. God does not make mistakes ever. It was no mistake when God placed you in your mother's womb. It was also no mistake if God placed you in another woman's arms to raise you, love you, cherish you. It was no mistake. Do you remember what Jeremiah 29:11 says? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. To give you a future and hope. On behalf of myself and other mothers, I ask your forgiveness for times I failed you, times I disappointed you, or made you feel unloved. Please forgive them. Forgive them. You cannot harbor unforgiveness in your hearts and be at peace with the Lord. It matters not whether they are living or not living. I beg you before you take another breath to forgive them. Before I close, let us think for a moment of the Samaritan woman at the well 
She was a social outcast, coming to the well during the time of the day when nobody else would have been there. She is surprised that a Jewish man would speak to her, ask her for a drink of water. But then she is invited to drink from the well of living water that only Jesus can offer. Jesus, knowing all her sins, forgave her. She was forgiven. She was set free from her guilt and her shame. And her relationship with the Father was restored. As I was reading about that again in John, I was thinking, I wonder who knew. I wonder who knew that she was restored. Did her children ever know? Did others in her life ever know? Did they see a change in her? Let's also think about the prodigal son. He had strayed so far, had squandered all that he had inherited, all that he had been given, yet he was forgiven and welcomed back by the Father. He was welcomed back into a relationship, welcomed back into the family. He was forgiven by the Father, not so welcomed by the brother, the brother who had stayed home. But we need to remember that God wants us in a relationship with him. He wants us in a relationship with him. And he was willing to do whatever it took to restore us. He is the one who loves us with a perfect love. He loves us enough to do whatever it took to restore that relationship. Out of his love for us, he sent the Savior, Jesus. We have another New Testament example of godly women. It's in 2 Timothy 1.5. And it's Paul writing to encourage Timothy. He says, I recall your sincere faith that was alive first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure is in you. What a faith his grandmother and mother handed down to him. We have that opportunity to hand that down to people not even in our family. So, from what the Bible gives us, we can see that to be a godly woman is to be a forgiving woman like the woman at the well. It is to be a forgiving woman like the prodigal father was to his son and like our Heavenly Father is. We cannot harbor unforgiveness in our hearts and be at peace with the Lord. And when we are at peace with the Lord, then we can aspire to be such women of faith that like Timothy's grandmother Lois and mother Eunice, we will inspire others to be devoted Christ followers like Timothy. So let us all be encouraged. And now for the scripture reading from the New Testament from John 10, 22 to 30. 
Then came the festival of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts walking in Solomon's colonnade. The Jews who were there gathered around him, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And that's the reading from Jesus' words. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Let's take our hymnals one more time. 597. Would you stand for with me? 597 in our hymnal. We changed the number. It's 597. Mary and I can change things now and then. We can do that. So, and this is just a great reminder that God has given us life. And he gave us wonderful mothers. He's given us a wonderful church. But take my life. And I would like to read the first 12 verses of Isaiah 26. I want to follow through with something I started last week. A message of six messages from Isaiah, but this dealing with a privileged people. God has made a privileged people out of Israel. He made a privileged people out of those who believe in the resurrection that Jesus calls us to himself to be a new nation, a peculiar people. And so I want to pick it up from Isaiah 26, first 12 verses, reading from the New International Version. In that day, this song will be sung in the land of Judah. That day speaks of a future time. And so this morning I want you to think just for a moment about your future, about our future, about the future of a nation. So that's the context of this scripture. In that day... This song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. That's the name of the song. God makes salvation its walls and ramparts. Open the gates that the righteous nation may enter, the nation that keeps faith. You will keep, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord, the Lord himself, is the rock eternal. He humbles those 
who dwell on high. He lays the lofty city low. He levels it to the ground and casts it down to the dust. Feet trample it down, the feet of the oppressed, the footsteps of the poor. The path of the righteous is level. You, the upright one, make the way of the righteous smooth. Verse 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desire of our hearts. My soul yearns for you in the night. In the morning my spirit longs for you. When your judgments come upon the earth, the people of the world learn righteousness. But when grace is shown to the wicked, they do not learn righteousness. Even in the land of uprightness, they go on doing evil and do not regard the majesty of the Lord. Lord, your hand is lifted high, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and, uh, and to be put to shame. Let the fire reserved for your enemies consume them. Lord, you establish peace for us and that we have and all that we have accomplished, you have done for us. Now, Father, I pray that you would make your word clear to us by the workings of your Holy Spirit. Give us not only ears to he hear, but feet that are swift to move in following after thee. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. You may be seated. We've all heard our mothers say to us, Are you listening? Haven't we? And this is kind of the message that the prophet uh, is speaking to Israel. He's saying to the nation, Are you listening? And it's a good question. Maybe it's not really a question at all. Maybe it's, it's a pause for correction. Are you listening? My, oftentimes my wife will say to me, I think you hear me, but you're not listening. And I have what's called selective hearing. I only hear sometimes what I want to hear. And I don't listen to what I don't want to listen to. But this prophecy begins with a message back in Isaiah chapter 1. I have made you great. I raised you up among the nations. But you have not listened to me. So the image here goes all the way back that God was Israel's perfect parents. None of us have had perfect parents, but Israel had perfect parents in God. And he says, I raised you up and I made you great among all the nations, but you have not been faithful. So at this time, in Isaiah chapter 26, Isaiah has been a prophet to the nation of Judah, the southern kingdom, for 40 years. And things have been progressively getting worse. So at this time, the southern kingdom has already been into exile. And at this time, the nation of Israel is about to go into exile. First of all, there's something that we need to know about this chapter. And this chapter spells out the future for Israel. And all of us want to know, what is our future? We're always curious about the future. That's why there's... Um, fortune tellers out there and there's tarot card readers out there and there's all sorts of people who will say I will tell you about your future 
But the prophet here is going to tell Israel about their future. And these verses of Scripture have something about our future as well wrapped up in them. So first of all, in the future, there will be a strong city whose builder and maker is God. That's verses 1 through 4. Now you think about that image. You think about a city. A city has all the resources that everybody could ever need. It has all the resources of food. It has all the force, sources of energy and shelter. All of those temple things that are important to us that you don't always find in a rural place. So in this city, the perfection of this city is its maker and builder is God. Singing and rejoicing will mark the uniqueness of this strong city. Those are the opening verses of chapter 26. Isaiah said that at some point in the future, the nation of Judah would yield to God's plan. This one tells us the name of the song that will be sung by God's people. We have a city. That's the name of the song. And, uh, and in this song, it's not only that we have a city, we have a strong city. A city that is impenetrable. A city that stands and withstands all assaults. This city has double walls to protect and deliver Judah from her enemies. Verse 2 tells us that the gates of this unique city are open to righteous people who, are set, who stay faithful. People who listen. That's not always our strong point. Verse 2 tells us that it is not only open to righteous people. Verse 3, God will keep watch over his people who learn and who lean on the perfect peace, the shalom, shalom. And the King James Bible says, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. In the Hebrew text, whenever the same word modifies the same word, it intensifies its meaning. So literally the Hebrew text says, Thou will keep him in shalom, shalom. It's intensified peace. And that's the promise to God's people. That all those things that want to disrupt our peace, all those things that want to push us off track, he promises that for those who trust in him, he will keep them in shalom, shalom, perfect peace. On that day they are singing, trust in the Lord forever, because the Lord himself is our everlasting rock. So again, the substance of who God is, is the promise to God's people for their future that will be marked by his steadfast care for them. In contrast to the future city, there's the temple city. And this was in reference to Jerusalem. This is in re reference to wayward Jerusalem. Verses 5 through 6 speak of the temple city, the Jerusalem of Isaiah's day. And really, it speaks of any modern city of today. In the temple city, most people will live independent from God. Humility is displaced by corruption and political power. Verse 6 tells us that the feet of the afflicted become the steps of the poor. So you think of the image, and I work with the poor, 
for a number of years in the streets of Milwaukee. At the Milwaukee Outreach Center, we work with people who are unemployed, underemployed, and underskilled. And our, our heart's desire was to help people transition from dependency to independence, from, de from dependency to independence, by becoming active followers of Jesus and becoming involved in Bible preaching churches. And we work with street people, all kinds of street people. And the street people, there's four kinds of contributing factors for a person being on the streets. The first factor had to deal with these were people who got distracted with drugs and alcohol in their life. And that distraction is a downward spiral. And it just pulls them deeper and deeper into a very dark hole. And then the second uh, factor that we met, met with on the streets were people who were afflicted with mental health issues. There's just something is not firing right. The wiring is not all there. And we had great counselors which would help us to determine the capacity of a person. And that was the first step of taking them to the readiness for employment. And we worked with people that didn't even have a high school diploma. And we helped them get a high school diploma. We had GED completion programs. We had counselors to help people who were marginally functioning mentally. And then the third contributing factor for people in the streets had to deal with people who had broken relationships, people who got sideways with a spouse. And pretty soon there was a separation, and pretty soon there was poverty because now there was two households to support. And then the third person that we met on the streets were those people who had adverse circumstances. Somehow they got over their heads in debt, and they got overextended uh, in, in debt. And or they lost a job. And we were able to be an intervention for them. But verse 6 says that the people afflicted here um, is that they had made missteps in their lives. Something didn't fire right in their lives. And those missteps usually came from they, they were neglecting God and the things of God in their life. In Judah's near future, the mighty city of Jerusalem would fall to Babylon and that nation would be taken into exile. The high and lofty people of the holy city uh, would become low, and verse 5 says, low as the dust of the ground. So the one thing that we want to see is that God has a future. And he has a future that there is a city whose maker and builder is God. And he invites us to be a citizen of that city. Secondly, the thing that we need to know about our future is that our present actions determine our future destiny. Verses 7 starts out, A path of the righteous is even. Now, if you hang around me for a little while, you know I love to hike. And this last Saturday, I, I hiked about 8 miles. I had my pack, 24-pack on. I'm getting in training. And I love a good path. I love when I served in Connecticut that there's over 700 miles of Blue Blaze Trail. That means there is a little Blue Blaze 
on the side of a tree every quarter mile, a half mile, or three quarters of a mile, and you can stay on the trail. Just keep your eye on the blue blaze. On the Appalachian Trail, it is a white blaze, and you just keep your eyes on that blaze as you go. When I did the journeys of Paul, I had very defined maps when I went through Greece and Turkey on the trail. And it says, it says, a path for the righteous is even. This is just opposite of Proverbs 13, 15, which says, the way of the transgressor is hard. So which do you want? Do you want an even path or a hard path? And the even path comes for the way of the righteous. And a hard path comes in the way of the transgressor. So this is not an impossible or insurmountable thing to do, to stay in the path. This is, like climbing, this is not like climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, where only the rugged make the ascent. Only those with guides and Sherpas gets to go to the top. For us, Christ makes a way for us, and he makes a path level for us. It's not always easy. But this trail of Jesus is well marked and it has promises of hope and justice and righteousness with it. On this trail, God's gracious to everyone. That's verses 10 through 15. Verse 10 in the Hebrew Bible uses a construction. It says, the wicked was caused to be favored. Can you imagine? Can you imagine a disobedient child? And this disobedient child attracts the attention of the parent who says, I get it, and I still love you, and I still want the best for you. That's what's wrapped up in verse 10. It says, the wicked, the wicked, it says, the wicked was caused to be favored. God in his grace and his mercy favors rebellious people, hoping that they will change their ways. As unthinkable as this is, God is moved in showing kindness, grace, and mercy to wicked and evil people everywhere. And this grace and mercy is also known in the Old Testament as chesed, which is the steadfast foundational love of God. We heard about that a little bit from Donna that God's love is ceaseless. It moves towards us. On, this, on the other trail, the trail of the unfaithful, verse 10 notes that wicked people are not teachable and they don't make good, sound decisions. They are dishonest. And when it comes to God's majesty and splendor, they are not interested. Verses 11 through 13 explain that if wicked stays unresponsive, God will allow their oppressors and adversaries to come after them. So you think about it, there are consequences of the actions that we make, the decisions that we make. There are things that our present actions determine our future. There is no safety or protection for them who choose to be wicked. And little by little, they fill up with regret and shame. In the very end, verse 14 says, The wicked dead do not live. They de the, their departed spirits 
do not rise up. So God judges them. And then all remember, remembrance of them is gone. Like that person had never been here. At the conclusion of the ages, all the nations of the earth will sing of God's mercy and honor and honor Him with praise and worship. So again, what we do with today, what decisions we make today, have a bearing on our future. Finally, the, f the thing that we need to know about our future is if we stay faithful to God, and this takes us back to the Easter story, this takes us back to the resurrection story, if we stay faithful to God, we will live forever. That's God's promise. Live forever. My oldest brother tells me the story when he came home from Sunday school one time, walking down Miller Avenue, Mill Valley, California, from the Mill Valley Baptist Church. It hit to him that he would live forever. And that was the same street I walked down a few years later, and I had the impression that I was made by God. There's promises for our future as we remain faithful and steadfast to Him. Verses 16 through 18 reminds us that pain can do one of two things. It can drive us towards God, or it can lead us away from God. For some, in the midst of tribulation and trauma, they curse God. For others, they pray to God and they ask for God's help. Verses 17 through 18 are an analogy. The labor in childbirth is so intense, the mother cries out in pain. Isaiah prophesied to his people what it would be like just before the collapse of their nation. Their pain would be so intense and the consequences for not listening would be so evident. What a picture. Pain awakens us to the promise of resurrection. Verses 19 through 21. Isaiah, Job, Jeremiah, and Daniel all spoke of the resurrection of the body. Verse 19, your dead will live, their bodies will rise. They that sleep in the earth will awake and shout for joy. For your dew, O Lord, is a dew of sparkling light. And the earth will bring those dead, long dead to birth again. There's the resurrection in Isaiah 26, 19. He, he says the dew will sparkle. It's like seeing the northern lights or fireflies or that snow in winter where there's a gazillion diamonds on top of the snow and it just sparkles. And he says, For you, O Lord, you are a sparkling light. The Lord says in verse 20, Come, my people, enter your private rooms and shut the door behind you and hide yourself for a little while until the fury has passed by. 
verse 21. For the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity. Listen. The invitation to be faithful to God and love forever stands. Listen. In the creed we confess that Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. The creed concludes, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the one holy Christian church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And Jesus said to his followers in John 14, Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. And you will take and take you to myself. And where I am, you may be also. On the rising of Lazarus from the dead, Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then Jesus said, Do you believe this? And the question comes to us, Are we listening? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your servant Isaiah. that he had a difficult calling 40 years to a wayward nation and yet Lord you spoke through him and you reminded him that there is a path that is for the righteous and there is a path for the wicked and I pray God that you would find in us a righteous people a privileged people a people with an advantage of knowing you, following you, serving you and most of all, Lord, listening to you. As we go through this week, Lord, help us to hear your voice and to be your, do your will and be in the center of your will for your glory, for your honor. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Minnetrista Baptist Church is a community of Christ followers who value preaching and teaching scripture biblical obedience, community, prayer, and evangelism. If you'd like to learn more about Minnetrista Baptist Church, please visit our website at minnetristachurch.org and come by for a Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you.